Hey guys, welcome to the Victory Theory Podcast. Today with your host, Sophie Spatero. And Kevin Hooker. Today we have a special guest, Nicole Rogers, on the podcast with us. And we are interviewing Miss Angelica Wood. Hi guys. <laughs> so, Angelica, um, just tell us a little bit about where you're from and, uh, and that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, well, I'm from uh, Inglewood, Colorado. I've lived in Colorado my whole life. Um, I'm almost 36. Um, yeah. Um, work. Uh, work as a pharmacy technician. Of uh, living with a living in uh, my grandmother's house because uh, way too expensive. Colorado is getting way too expensive to afford anything. Yes, I heard that. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's changed quite a bit, Sophie, since you've been um, since you were living here. <laughs> yeah, uh, my mom still lives there, so she tells me all the horror stories about the traffic. Oh, and oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Angelica, y'all are my favorite people right now because I just had teeth surgery, so I've been having to go to the pharmacy quite a bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah, it's 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 definitely a different yeah. I because I, I worked in the the fitness industry the like a gym for twelve years, um, and it just wasn't paying the bills. So um, I was I did actually I do have two college degrees, but I went like with the more liberal arts, and mm-hmm. um, couldn't really get a job. And I kind of ran into what a lot of people run into where oh, we want to hire you, but we want an unpaid intern, or we want you to have like five years experience for an entry level position. And it's just like okay, guys, um, I need to pay my bills in the meantime. What's going on? Right, exactly. Tell them you don't want the free labor. Yes. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, yeah, but no, I, I get it. Yeah, I have, um, yeah, working in pharmacy, it's definitely a different um, world, and especially with um, uh, they're trying to crack down on the opioids and stuff. It's it's very difficult for people who, um, you know, need them for surgeries and chronic conditions because it's, you know, kind of the way the world always works is the people that really need it and aren't abusing it, they're using it properly, are the mm-hmm. ones that the new laws hurt. And then the people that are actually misusing it are the ones that seem to be able to, you know, find ways to get around it or the doctors try. Um, right. Yeah, it, it can be very frustrating on our end. And because I mean, I don't want I want people to have their medicine. And I don't, I don't assume everybody that's getting oxycodone is you know, going to sell it on the street or take the whole, you know, take the whole bottle in four days. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Sorry, my cut out. Are you guys still there? Yeah, we're still yeah. there. Okay. Um, so what was it like for you growing up? I know we had a pretty big family and everybody was pretty close. Um, so just what was your home life like? Yeah, I, it's like, I, I wasn't, yeah, it's like, I, yeah, it wasn't bad. I mean, I do have, um, yeah. Cause if uh, Kevin and Nicole don't know, Sophie and I are actually uh, related by marriage. Um, her <laughs> dad married my aunt. Okay. Um, so, um, but um, Sophie would be the oldest, um, but there are, there were, there's, um, there were um, a set of five kids. It was me, my sister and my uncle's three children. We were all born kind of right in a row from 84 to 88. Um, and so we really all grew up together. And then there were, um, and then, um, then 
my aunt married Sophie's dad. Sophie joined the family. Um, we had, I'm trying, I'm trying to do all the math here. Um, <laughs> then we had, um, uh, we had like one in 90, 92, two in 93, had a break until 97, 99. And then um, a little uh, uh, surprise in 2005. So oldest, <laughs> oldest, youngest to put that in perspective, guys. Um, yeah, we have from um, 81 to 2005 is our age range in cousins. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, no, but, um, yeah, it's like, no, grew up, um, all of us, uh, we didn't all, um, weren't all in the same like city in the, um, state, but yeah, we, um, grew up together, um, did a lot, you know, family trips together, camping trips. Um, there is property up, um, just outside of Fort Collins, um, that did have a cabin and whatnot on it. It burned in um, one of the fires in 12, um, but we went up there all the time. Um, you know, it's like grew up really close, um, you know, and I mean, and I had a, and home life, um, was, was really, it was pretty good. Um, it did end up unfortunately dissolving. My parents have been divorced for now 21 years. Um, so the last like five years of their marriage was, um, pretty, you know, the last five years, it was just really awful. And then the first three after the separation were not mm-hmm. good, um, just because there was, you know, a lot of that bitterness and readjusting and you know now they have to deal with custody and things of that nature i'm sure that took a toll on you too as you know i know it did for me and my my parents and i was really young but i still remember all of the hard stuff they went through yeah yeah it just it, it culminated there was you know there was financial stuff on top of it because um there had been uh in 96 um the uh, um, version of Kroger we have here, King Supers, they have a union. It went on strike in 96 and the strike lasted three months. Wow. And yeah, I mean, even with um, what they, cause they do get compensation from the union, but I mean, but you're still not pulling what you would make doing, you know, 40 hours at your actual job. Right. And it just, and after three months, when you have a two income household, that's going to, you know, very, you know, not nearly what you would make um, with them just, you know, doing picketing for 40 hours a week. We never mm-hmm. really recovered financially. And so that caused a lot of strain. Um, there were obviously some other unresolved issues, um, you know, and things that were festering with my parents that, you know, I was too young at the time to really understand. And there's nothing I could do about it, obviously. Right. So, um you know, eventually it did culminate in, um, in 2000, um, with my mom, finally, she, she's the one that, um, initiated it. So she actually moved me and my sister, um, in with her parents and we were also going to lose our house. It was just, it, it was just a lot of stress and it was just, it was also very difficult because as a kid, you, all you can do is just kind of be a spectator. There's absolutely nothing you can do to help the situation in any way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's, but now I, I will say that at least after 20 years, I'm fortunately I have, um, my parents have, you know, gotten to the point 
that, you know, we can have the two of them in a room and we don't have to worry about like, okay, make sure they don't make eye contact with each other, make sure they don't sit next <laughs> to each other. I, I know people that have that issue where, you know, they have to like have like a, a Zoom meeting practically yeah. to at the beginning of the year of like who gets what holiday, who's coming, what time are you leaving? And yeah. So I'm very fortunate that my sister and I don't have to deal with that, nor would we, because it's just we're, you know, it's like if you guys can't be adults, <laughs> you don't need exactly. to be around. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I know um, when my brother passed it, I kind of distanced myself from my dad and that side of the family just because I wasn't in a, a good headspace to try to deal with it. Um, and then we just kind of all fell out of touch. Yeah. For that's, the longest time. And that's pretty much mine with my dad he actually lives in Colorado Colorado Springs and I'd say goodness it's probably been a solid seven years or decade actually since I last talked to him wow yeah I do um you know I I spent a lot of years being very mad at my dad and um I, I don't even know till this day really why I was mad at him but I didn't talk to him for a really long time and um we just now, it was probably like three or four years now that we've started talking back again. Uh, not a lot, but I mean, at least I know that he's still there and, you know, my brothers and sisters are grown uh, men and women now and, you know, it's great to see all that. So, um, and, and it looks like you and your sister are doing well too. Yeah. Yeah. We, I said, but there were some rough patches. I mean, yeah, I talked about like our childhood, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. So I can't say it was a horrible childhood or anything like that, but there were some things that happened that um, ended up leaving marks um, because um, we grew up, you know, we grew up very close with um, at least the first set of cousins mm -hmm. and um, my dad's family um, are LDS um, and my mother's family is Roman Catholic. So if you can just try to imagine those two religions mm -hmm. and just, and the massive contradictions on each other, um, with the exception of, you know, having a big family, but I mean, there's just a lot of contradiction and, um, there were people who are, they're not related to me, but they were always around because they are, they're related through, um, an in-law and they didn't like my mother and they took it um they very much encouraged their children to kind of treat me and my sister like garbage um mm. i mean I, I like um to give you some of the highlights um biracial abomination catholic whore and the actual derogatory slur for an italian were used and you know at, at age seven i mean where are they hearing it <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then oh, when, that yeah, when my sister and I would actually get upset or you know like any kind of, you know like hey you know what what the heck's going on with your kids, you know their kids would do the big crocodile tears and oh they're just making these up oh they're just so mean and you know then you'd hear the parent actually say something well you know those Catholics or those Italians they want to be martyrs and it's just kind of, I mean I remember being a little kid going didn't okay is anybody else besides me seeing this. Wow. Yeah. So those people, um, out of, you know, respect for um, the family members I'm actually related to, um, 
I, I've never, I, and it's like, I don't, at this point as an adult, I haven't seen some of them in over 20 years. Um, don't particularly care if I do or not. If I do interact with them, I said, I can, I'm now an adult. I can keep a, you know, I can be civil. I can acknowledge their presence, but I do just avoid them. It's just like, no, I just don't, I don't want to be around you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, though th- that kind of stuck because it just kind of felt like there were some people that they didn't, um, you know, have our, you know, ha- have my back. It's just like, you know, you wonder, and then they would ask, it's like, oh, geez, why doesn't she want to play with the other kids or something's wrong with her? And it's just like, no, I don't want to be around my bullies and you guys don't yeah. seem to grab that. Um, and then, um, yeah. And then about the time that my parents were getting divorced, I was, um, from a fairly young age where you wouldn't think a kid could show it. I was showing signs of some depression and anxiety, partly from the bullying that I was getting from the people. And just, I was a very overly sensitive kid. I'll, I can admit that. And um, this, at the, you know, in elementary school, they just don't think at the time, especially in the nineties, that a kid could be depressed, could have anxiety. Right. You know, you're just really sensitive. You need to, you know, kind of pull your bootstraps up and get over it. So I was showing signs fairly young and I just kept kind of having to plug along. I mean, they had counselors talk to me, but they just thought, you know, it's like, oh no, you just, you know, you're just a very sensitive kid. You just need to, you know, we just need to work on your self-esteem and it just kind of kept getting worse. And then having the issues with my parents as their marriage was dissolving and it all culminated in the weekend where my mom moved us out, where we were already going to lose the house. That was a guarantee, even without my parents um, separating. Um, my mother had moved us in with her parents um, and, you know, just felt really hopeless, you know, just because everything was falling apart, you know, because mm-hmm. my parents were at this point. I mean, you know, they're fighting, you know, the grandparents have kind of taken sides you know, I, I don't even have a familiar place really to, you know, I don't even have my own room now. And then on Monday, um, I was 14 at the time I had my first boyfriend and I couldn't get a hold of him over the weekend. And I told him what had happened. And his response at the end of that school day was to hand me a note that basically said, I'm going to have to stop calling you my girlfriend. I don't consider you my girlfriend sorry for making your life shittier, but I'm breaking up with you. Mm. Wow. Oh uh, yeah. That's a shitty yeah. day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, at 14, you know, I was barely holding it together and that just literally pushed me over the edge. And I mean, within 15 minutes of being picked up by my grandfather at school, I mean, I had a plan in my head to end it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I, I tried to, um, I tried to overdose um, I was found, obviously, um, had my stomach pumped. I actually fought the nurses when they were trying to put the tube in my throat and ended up yanking it out. And then they had to go through my nose. Um, I mean, obviously survived it. I'm actually amazed I didn't tear up my sinuses or have GI issues. I'm very lucky in that respect. And I'm also very lucky that what I took didn't you know, destroy my liver or anything like that. But yeah, yeah I, you know, and yeah, because the best way I could describe that feeling is I just felt like the whole world was screaming, you know, like the whole world was just coming down on me and yelling at me. And I just wanted it all to stop. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's, it's a lot of emotions that hit you all at once. And a lot of people 
even really strong people who have it all together don't know how to deal with all that sometimes. Yeah. So oh, yeah. it's it's a even hard people, situation. Even yeah. people our age now are having a hard time with it, you know? No, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know there's been a string of those, it seems. <laughs> Angelica, I got a question just because yeah. I was a big kid myself. They had a stroke when you were young. Uh, yeah, when I was about uh, six weeks old, um, uh, I had one. Um, don't really know what caused it. The best I can guess is my mother was actually pregnant with twins with me and very early in the pregnancy um, miscarried the twin. I want to say like definitely under 12 weeks. And all I can think, because um, um, if you took the duty that they gave my mother originally and my actual birth date, it doesn't seem like it's possible. But um, we're also talking 1985, so they didn't do ultrasounds like they, um, you know, do now. So mm-hmm. when she miscarried at work, and I am her, I'm, and this is her first pregnancy, um, they, you know, they, obviously she went in and they literally had her prepped and they were going to examine, you know, to confirm the loss. And they said, you're still pregnant. But they had already um, given her the due date of May 20, like, 8th. And my birthday is July 10th. Wow. That is six weeks. So I'm thinking that if um, we had, you know, it's like if the twin had survived, we probably would have been born in May just because twins are usually prem. And also my mother's only four foot 10. So I don't see her going full term with a set of twins. Yeah. (laughs) My mom is really tiny. She was Um, a little thing. Yeah. And um, so about six weeks after I was born, um, yeah, I just had a serious medical crisis. They determined it was a stroke. And I was so critical at one point that they literally were telling my parents to call a priest and get a plot. I mean, they really didn't expect me to survive. And there was one doctor that, you know, no bedside manner whatsoever, apparently, like, was pretty much telling my parents, well, you might want to let her go because she's going to be so heavily disabled that it's not going to be worth, you know, keeping her around. And apparently my mother, like, practically stood on a chair and told this guy, you SOB, you're not God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, fortunately, um, can't really, I don't know if they're the only, uh, I do have, like, some long-term effects from that. I do have a slight form of cerebral palsy, mainly in my um, shoulders and in my um, left hip. But that wasn't diagnosed until I was a little bit older. And I don't really think I had any delays. I'm, my parents say I really didn't walk independently until I was 18 months. But I don't think it was a delay in as much as because of that and because I was also their firstborn. All I had to do was just sit around and cry and somebody was going to pick me up. So I didn't yeah. need a walk. <laughs> so I don't really think it was a delay. It was just more, I was just probably coddled. Because, I mean, apparently when I wanted to, I mean, I just got up and like walked you know, got up and ran one time. So it wasn't, I don't think it was a delay. It was just, I was spoiled. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Nope. (laughs) So did the, uh, when you attempted the suicide, did that kind of wake everybody up and kind of, did you get some help for that? Yeah, Yeah, I I did. Um, I did because I had seen therapists, but I hadn't seen a, like a psychiatrist. So then they, um, I was put on antidepressants. I, I did go to both a therapist and a psychiatrist. Um, but there were other things that because of how I had kind of like some of the like bullying and stuff had been ignored. Um, it, it did do other things mentally 
that I just didn't realize were part of a, a, a wider um, problem. And at the time I didn't, you know, I wasn't, and I also wasn't kind of, I really wasn't honest with the shrinks at the time. Cause I didn't really know if this was, you know, a mental problem or just my personality. Um, uh -huh. but it mm -hmm. turned into, but it actually is um, something called borderline personality disorder. Um, it's something that can be very difficult to diagnose and also something that some actual mental health professionals will shy away from because unfortunately one of the things, because um, the people that have this, they've learned to, kind of go into survival mode and also learn how to hide their emotions because they are, they're ignored or ignore, you know, not acknowledged very well that they learn how to manipulate situations. So they're very, sometimes they can be very difficult to treat mm -hmm. because they learn how to manipulate situations or people into either thinking right. they're okay or getting what they want. So some shrinks shy away from it. Um, I am still, I just recently, I actually was off of medication for a few years because I was getting to a point where I was, you know, you know, doing, you know, I was doing okay. I had, I had worked out a lot of the issues that I had, um, with, you know, some of the past and some of the people. And, um, I've only recently gone back on like a very low dose, but that's just because during this whole last year, like a lot of other people, I've been working the whole time. But I mean, it's even, it's getting to me just like everybody else. So, I mean, there's mm -hmm. nothing there. Yeah, it's, it's hard, definitely. Yeah, for yeah. me, I take uh, Ativan for anxiety. Yeah. And I think I was off, off of it for like two years. And with this hit, it was just like, I couldn't do it anymore. I had to call my doctors like, well, but like you, I take low doses. I don't like yeah high doses. Now, when you say like, you kind of like, the personality disorder that they kind of like you guys like almost like uh, manipulate the situation to make it to where it's not as bad. Do you do it intentionally? Do they know, or is it just kind of just out of habit purely? It, be, it, it comes out of habit. It's just kind of like you fall into it. It's not an active, like, Oh, let me see if I can manipulate this person to get what I want it's more of, um, you know, if something's uncomfortable and because when I was really young, things that, you know, made me uncomfortable, like the slurs were kind of downplayed or ignored, you know, I will try to either, either can downplay a situation when it's really needs to be, it, it, I, if anything, I just like, to me, it kind of, it's confused me on when it is an appropriate reaction for something. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I could find out that, somebody um you know i could find out that somebody in my like friend group like had recently passed away and i mean not that it doesn't upset me but you know it's like oh that's sad you know kind of what's for lunch and then you know i um you know i get a flat tire and i mean the world is coming to an end so uh, it's like i i don't know what you know it's like i can manipulate situations just out of habit and I also sometimes don't know the appropriate response to a situation. For me, I'm bipolar. So I kind of react very similar to that. Yeah. Like you, when my aunt passed away, it was just kind of like, oh, okay. And everybody else is like, kind of like falling their eyes out. Same thing with my grandmother. And it just, like you said, they're just, there's that just one yeah. tiny little trigger and you finally. Yeah. It lets it loose. Or uh, um, I also have the ability to dissociate, which thank God I haven't done that in years. But that's just kind of when the best way I could describe it is you literally, you go completely numb and you actually kind of like, there is part of you that separates 
out like the I guess like the more logical part of your brain just just kind of goes on a vacay and you just I mean it feels like you're going crazy I mean you literally I mean you can you can shut it all off but you are just like a hair trick you are a hair trigger and all somebody has to do is just look at you wrong touch your shoulder and I mean you go nuts you you literally almost have to be restrained yeah fortunately it's been several years since that has happened and now I've built up a pretty good support system um to where you know, even when I went to my doctor about getting just a low dose of um, antidepressant anxiety meds and he, you know, of course they have to ask the mandatory, do you feel suicidal? Or are you thinking of hurting yourself? And I, you know, I explained that's like, no, I, I've got plenty of people around. I even like my people I work with, you know, if I told them like, Hey, I'm really feeling so bad that I want to go out onto like 285 and jump in front of a semi. I mean, I know that they would, you know, immediately, move to get what needed to be done done right that's great that you have such a great support system yeah yeah, yeah. no after nobody that, can do it alone nope and i think a lot of people unfortunately yeah they don't realize how many people are around um i told sophie recently uh um a, a former co-worker and actually a family friend's a 16 year old son unfortunately committed suicide uh like right after mother's day mm. um yeah so you know, and I mean, of course, that was very, well, it, was, it kind of triggered me because um, I found out because she had posted a big collage on Facebook of her, just pictures of her son. And of course, she, you know, there's nothing really that tells me that something's wrong. I mean, I'm like, a lot of people do that. And, you know, it's like, hey, nice pictures of your kid. But there was a comment under from somebody I didn't know who they, I don't know who they are to my friend. Um, of Oh, well, the family's asking for privacy at this like really hard time. Please contact me directly. And I'm like asking my sister, I'm like, what, what, what's going on with Angela? What happened? And she's like, I don't know. So I texted her directly and I went, Hey, I, I saw your thing on Facebook. Are you guys all right? And then I, I get a text back saying, no, you don't know pain until your child takes his own life. And, and my dad had worked with her for years. So I had to go and tell him and yeah, trust mm-hmm. me. I was a, I was a, I was a wreck and I, I yeah, then I let my coworkers know that's just like, okay, for the record, this has happened. I mean, I, I still went into work the next day, um, but I said, I'm taking, when they have the, uh, they had a celebration of life. I'm like, I'm taking that day off just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely, it was like, I, I was walking around just, yeah, definitely. Cause I also um, have, I also have some self mutilation scars on my arm as well, which is also part of the, you know, just not having a, when you feel like you don't have an outlet, you'll take it out on yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't done that in a while either. So fortunately, I didn't, apparently I didn't go as nasty as some people do, because unless I pointed them out on my arm, you wouldn't know they were there. I'm grateful for that, I guess. Small mercies. Yeah. Yeah, could be worse for sure. Um, so did you ever think about having kids of your own? Oh, I yeah, I have. Um, I was diagnosed at 20 um, with uh, something called polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, it's one of the leading causes of, well, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go as far as saying infertility, but because cause fertility issues Mm -hmm. and actually the disorder, even though it sounds like it's just my ovaries, um, it's actually an endocrine disorder. So, uh, um, the basic way I describe it is like, I have all the hormones I'm supposed to have. I have everything, um, to have kids and do everything. My, but basically my body doesn't, um, get traffic signals. Correct. Um, so um, what they call polycystic ovarian syndrome, because 
that's usually the first thing that they'll notice with women um, is my body will um, mature an egg like it's supposed to, you know, and get ready to ovulate. And my body never gets the signal to kick the egg to ovulate. So the egg just kind of chills there. And of course, um, you know, what would be the baby ends up just kind of, you know, going, you know, just reabsorbs into my body. But the um, kind of the shell it makes, it doesn't go away. So mm -hmm. it forms a cyst and it has mm. its own set of hormones and it throws things off. Oh. Yeah. And, but I mean, but it also affects, um, but it can also cause like insulin resistance. Wow. Um, yeah. So I mean, it can, it's like the, like everything except my thyroid and my adrenal glands, um, you know, are either overworking or they're underworking. They just don't get their, they're just getting their signals crossed. It's not, it's not fatal. It's not, um, something, you know, it's not, it is a chronic condition, but it's not something, um, that, you know, it's not a death sentence to hear, but you have to definitely watch with, um, like the insulin resistance. They have to make sure that your pancreas is still functioning. Okay. Um, got to make sure that your liver, cause your liver kind of goes into overdrive. Um, and it's, it's, you know, and it's very, and it's fairly common. I mean, I think it's like one in 10, even though they think it could be more, and it's also like no two people are alike. Um, like there's that one reality show um, that they had, and I can't remember what it was called, but it was the girl who I guess she went viral because she's really heavy and she like does Zumba classes or something. And yeah, she yeah, had, yeah. but she's like, you know, 300 pounds. Well, they have some, that obesity could be a problem, but some people can be very skinny for some people it causes acne, um, excess hair growth. They can cause hair loss. I mean, it's like no two people who have this are, are the same. Mm -hmm. um, it was unusual for me, at least in terms of 20, because I usually they don't find out until women are trying to have children and they're having a difficult time conceiving. Mm -hmm. um, and they just happened to notice because um, I um, had had um, larger cysts that had actually um, tried to go out, tried to actually like choke my ovaries out and had them mm. had cysts removed. And so they stopped my cycle for a while. Um, and then when they tried to, when they took me off the, um, shot to stop the cycle, um, my body still wasn't kind of getting the hint that, Hey, you need to do this every month. So yeah. they were trying to jumpstart it, which, um, yeah, the, the, the hormones they give you for that or yeah. Um, yeah, just put like PMS and like a hardcore menopausal day into oh one. My gosh. It's nuts. <laughs> it's not pleasant. No. <laughs> it, it's horrible. It's awful. And it's awful for people around you. It's awful for you as well. And, um, well, they noticed that with the amount that they were giving me th when they were doing an ultrasound, they're like, you're not building up what you need to, to be able to, um, have a, have a menstrual cycle. And they scanned over my ovaries and here were all the cysts wow. and yeah. And then well, and they, and they found it out. I mean, it was, yeah, but I mean, at the time at 20, cause I'm hearing, cause it increases your risk for, you know, the diabetes. Um, they do worry a little bit about cervical cancer once again because of just hormone factors because if um everything's off you know it can cause other problems mm -hmm. and um so when you hear um problem you know when you basically hear you're gonna have you might have an infertility problem you now increase your risk for diabetes and cervical cancer not a good day <laughs> yeah All right so at 20 it was very devastating because i mean i just i took it to heart and i mean i think i made it three steps out of the doctor's office 
and like practically burst into tears. I actually intentionally took the stairs down. I think the office at the time was on the fourth floor of this building. I took the stairs down because I did not want to be in the elevator with a pregnant woman or somebody with a car seat. Mm-hmm. Like I can't do it right now. I can't do it right now. Um, and there was a, I mean, and I did have family that, I mean, my, my parents, of course, you know, they're, they're trying to comfort me. And of course it, they kind of felt helpless because there's nothing they can do either. I mean, they, they can comfort me, but they can't make it better. Right. And, um, so it was, it was hard because I also had seen, um, some girls that I went to school with that had kids while we were still in high school. And some of them had made very poor decisions. I mean, Mm -hmm. not just, not just getting pregnant that young, but I mean, you know, they got pregnant to to keep the guy around or they, um, one of them got intentionally pregnant because she got in her mind, you know, some kind of a fantasy, like, oh, we're going to, you know, I'm going to get married and I'm going to have this baby and everything's going to be great. And it's like, you know, then she realized that all the rest of us turned 18 and we're going to, you know, we're going to R rated movies where, you know, we don't really have a curfew anymore and we can go and we have disposable income a little bit. And she's over here whining that I can't do anything because it's, you know, because of this kid. And it's like, no, you, you made it. <laughs> you, you yeah. did this. The kid didn't ask for that. Um, so that I was just like, okay, why do I have this potential problem? And these girls were able to do it without a care in the world. And then just to make it a little more, uh, at least complicated, three months after I was diagnosed, my sister got pregnant at 17. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And, um, it wasn't the best of circumstances. Um, I mean, I have my nephew who is almost 15. I love him to pieces. Um, but his biological father, um, is, um, no longer in the picture by his choosing at this point and, um, is, was not the best example. I, I, I'll just put it in the sense of, I have no respect because he doesn't take responsibility for his actions. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's like, because I could go on for days, but just for <laughs> my nephew's sake, I won't. I mean, and I just kind of, because uh, my sister is now married, has two more um, sons um, with my brother-in-law, who has now taken my, old, you know, has taken the oldest as his own. Um, and they're doing, they're doing really good. Um, we're hoping that they'll close on a house here, hopefully by the end of the month, <laughs> crossing fingers. That's um, great. But yeah, it was just, it was also hard with that. Cause it's like, I was just diagnosed with this and then she gets pregnant and, um, you know, everybody was wondering if I was jealous and I'm like, not in the, not for the reason you think. Cause I didn't make a big like family announcement that I had this illness because mm-hmm. I, you know, kind of come to terms with it. So a lot of people thought, oh, I wonder if she's jealous. And I'm like, in the sense of, you know, I was trying to wait until I was out of college and, you know, and like trying to be a little more stable. Yes, I'm a little jealous, but not because, you know, because at the time, my parents weren't thrilled with the thought of being a grandparent. Right. (laughs) You know, I mean, your 17 year old that hasn't completed high school yet, you know, is pregnant by, um, you know, a a person that you're not particularly a big fan of. You know, it's like they weren't jumping for joy. I mean, and, of, you know, I mean, of course, when he came, I mean, a lot of that melted away, like a lot of those situations where at least when the baby gets here, it's like, OK, at least you have that to focus on, right. even if the situation's not the best. Um, yeah, I did. Yeah. And I, I still would like to have kids. I mean, I, I realize I'm getting a little more up in years, but I'm also, you know, I, I'm also one of it doesn't necessarily have to be 
through pregnancy, I mean, I'm willing to entertain other ideas because, I mean, right. you don't have to be blood to be family. And, um, yeah, I did. Ha- I have had um, I've had a miscarriage, um, but it wasn't caused from the PCOS because that's one of the things that um, PCOS. Um, well, at least with most infertility, if a woman is able to conceive, they can usually figure out some way to get her to go to term. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when it's when you're unable to conceive when um, it becomes more uh, it becomes harder because if they can't get you to conceive, it's really difficult to figure out right. like how to get you to carry. Um, but mine was it wasn't from the but usually with the PCOS, it will be with the same thing where the body doesn't realize it's supposed to produce hormones or give signals. Um, a lot of women, if they have this disease, they'll conceive but their body doesn't realize it has to support the baby to a certain point until they can do it on their own right so they don't it doesn't have all the hormones and everything it needs so the baby doesn't thrive um in my case was um uh i was almost i was almost three months and um went in and unfortunately found out um no heartbeat but when they were scanning me, they noticed, um, I, 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 at this point, I'm just like, I'm sobbing on the table and I really don't want this woman touching me anymore on the ultrasound table. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were measuring uh, the fluid. And I, at the time I didn't really care. Cause I was just like, can we just, just do what you gotta do and just let me just, I just want to curl up into a ball and cry. And they determined that the, I guess I had, it was either too thick or too much. And that's an early indication of a trisomy. So think mm-hmm. something like down syndrome where uh, a, chromosome has split funny mm-hmm. and it was a um when they gave me the results of the testing it was a mosaic trisomy nine so it's not it was and i i, I looked it up later because i i wanted to know what this was because i mean it's just like i can't just live in ignorance about it i need to know what this was mm-hmm. and um it's definitely it's not one that they would say incompatible with life, but it's definitely life limiting. When I looked it up after I was told, after I got the results, um, the oldest kid I could find with it was 15 at the time. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, it's just um, like they're, they have inherent, like, like their GI system. They're usually on a, like some kind of a feeding tube most of their life. A lot of infections come with that. Uh, usually the feet are clubbed and, um, their ears are offset. Yeah. So like the outer part of their ear is offset from the actual anatomy of the ear. So they're inherently deaf. I mean, there's a whole slew of medical issues. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was still, it was just as devastating. It didn't, it didn't matter if they told me that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's still your part of you, you know, that you're not going to have anymore. It doesn't matter what's wrong with it. Yeah. So yeah. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was devastating. I mean, I've, 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 I've made my peace with it. I mean, and I mean, there's, there were, there was a few years where it was very difficult for me um, to even, I mean, like my nephews were one thing, but like other family members, babies, I could hold yeah. them, but it's like, they, I mean, it was really weird because I couldn't hold them to snuggle up against my chest. I could hold them facing away from me. I could hold mm-hmm. them in my, I could hold them in my arms or on my shoulder but to have them like against my chest, like near my heart, I, I couldn't do it. It was just, it would just maybe ball. Yeah. Cause it took, it took a little while, but I mean, it was just, it was just a matter of like just going through the, you know, a grieving process and, you know, also that, you know, even that jealousy where it's just like, why not me? Why me? You know, why, why, why me? 
And it's, you're talking about stuff that I'm sure many of other women feel too, but they're just, they don't know how to put it out in words or uh, don't, yeah. don't know what to do about it. You know, they just suffer in silence. So, yeah, you're incredibly strong. That's for sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's been a really good uh, getting to talk to you and, and getting to hear your story and, um, I'm really glad that you're doing so well for yourself now and uh, that you're kind of in a happy place and you have a good support system. That's yeah. A, that's always good. It, everybody needs a good support system. Yeah, Most definitely. Yeah. You're so brave to come on and tell your story too. Oh, um, no, I've, I was happy to. And I mean, if, if somebody hears this and it, you know, helps them reach out or something, I mean, that, that'd be great. Exactly. So if anybody wants to reach you, do you, uh, other than Facebook, do you have any kind of social media or anything you want to put uh, out for just, people? Uh, just Facebook at this point. Um, it wasn't, I kind of reluctantly got into Facebook. I'm kind of, a, I only started in 18 because of my job um, to get hours. We have a group so you can get some OT or extra hours if you need the money. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm, I, I and right now it's just super busy because um, we're, I'm also um, at one of the places that gives the, the COVID shots. So very oh, yeah. busy, very busy right now. <laughs> Definitely. All right. All right. Well, great. Thank you so much again for being on and um, stay tuned next week. Every got everybody to hear the next episode of the victory theory podcast. All right. Thanks Bye. for having me on guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.